season of parenting <clears throat> that I formerly used to judge, if I'm being honest. Uh, my kids are 13, 11, and 9. And I remember when parents in this life stage would tell me, they're like, yeah, we're just like so busy. I'm like, are you? Like, really? Like, how hard? I've got littles. You don't know. Uh, I now, This is my public apology for uh, all those things that I used to say or think. Um, I'm now in that season. And let me tell you, it is busy. I think my entire life, we just were like a taxi service, running people all over to everything. And last week, we were running my middle daughter, Claire, to her basketball game. And we decided this is a home game. So guess what? Everyone is going. This comes with, you know, like, oh, really, mom? We have to go. Cohen, my 13-year-old, my he says, but I have homework. Nice try, kid. I said, you know what? Bring it with. Bring it with. So we go to the game, and my husband, Ben, he's doing the, the clock, and Gia's sitting next to me. I've got Cohen. He's got his Chromebook out. He's working on his homework. Everything's great. Uh, we win the game. Yay. And then we're leaving. We're walking out, <clears throat> and I asked Cohen, I said, so what, what homework are you working on, man? Like, you're working on a presentation? So yeah. He said, I have to do a presentation for my English class on the Holocaust. And so as we're walking out to the car, um, it's pitch black at six o'clock now, and we're entering our vehicle. And my middle daughter, Claire, she's 11, she goes, <clears throat> what's the Holocaust? She hasn't come up yet. And Cohen goes on to describe to his sister that the Holocaust was the genocide of European Jews during World War II. And he shares with her how Nazi Germany, believing that they were racially superior, systematically murders six million Jews. <clears throat> my 13-year-old sat in the front seat of the car as he's telling her this, and he begins to weep. This is not common for my son. I'm not talking one tear. He begins to weep as he tells his sister about the gas chambers, as he envisions what it would have been like to hold both Claire and Gia's hands as they walk in a line to their death. He weeps. My friends, this moment, this is a mishpat moment. Cohen's heart was breaking over injustice. As he was reflecting and telling the story, he's going, man, this thing, this is wrong. He begins to feel God's heart towards humanity and he is moved by compassion. This moment, this is where mishpat begins where you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the wrongs in the world and then allow yourself to be moved by God's compassion. We're in this series called Mishpat, where we've discovered that Mishpat is the Hebrew word for justice. It's a word we don't use very often, but if you want to get it out of your system, you can say it with me now. Mishpat, Mishpat. It's kind of fun to say. Mishpat means justice. It's found over 400 times in the Old Testament alone, and it talks about God's restorative justice. And we, as followers of God, as sons and daughters here in the house, we care about justice because justice is who our Father is. He is just. Let's read the scripture here together in Deuteronomy 32. It says, He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything He does is 
Say it with me. Just and fair. Yeah, he's a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. Our God is a God of justice. Everything he does is just and fair. He is Mishpat. And he has made us in his image. It's interesting to me that I've never had a full-on conversation explaining to my kids that genocide is wrong. Right? That's just never come up. And yet... Cohen knew that that's just not right. It's almost as though understanding right and wrong has been deeply embedded in us. As if we've come into the world intuitively knowing about this concept of what is right or what is just. It's almost as though it's a part of our very design. And I would venture to say that's because... It is, right? In Genesis 1.27, we read that all people, all of humanity has been made in the image of God. We have been designed to be like him. We are crafted in his image. And he is just. He is mishpat. But take it one step further. I'm not just talking about all humanity being made in God's image. We as believers, as ones who say, I follow you, Jesus, I want to be like you. Thankfully, we've been made completely new. This is the gospel, right? That Jesus has made us right. That through his life, death, and resurrection, he restored us into right relationship with the Father. And because we've been made right, We've been given this new heart and this new life in him. We now get to be empowered by him to do right. We've been made right, and now we do right. So as disciples, we choose to be like him, which means we bear his image, and that means we also actively participate in mishpat, in biblical justice. If you're anything like me, you're, you're going, okay, this is great, but why do we participate in mishpat? What's the why? Right? What is God's heart for humanity? What is the motivation for mishpat? Well, today we're going to dig into the scripture and we are going to discover how we can participate in mishpat. And that is by being moved by compassion into action. So would you pray with me? And we'll jump into the word. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. Father, we honor that you are just. It's who you are. And I pray right now, God, that you would... Um, Yeah, just remove anything that blocks us from hearing your word and your truth today. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive every good thing you have to share with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so let's talk for a minute about motivation. What is it that motivates us? What moves us into action? Because we all make choices every single day out of motive. Our motives are the reason we do that thing we do. It's the reason we behave in that way. And some motives are really, really great, and other motives are not so great, right? (laughs) They're just not so good. So for me, if you know me, you know that I am motivated to live in financial freedom. It's really important to me. I grew up poor. um, We never had what we needed. And so the truth is, I was not motivated to be rich. I was motivated to not be poor, you see the difference, right? That wasn't the thing I wanted. I just really didn't want this. So I was actually afraid of being poor. It wasn't about being rich. I didn't want to be poor. And what I will tell you is this. One of the strongest motivators in our life is fear. Fear is the driving force of much of our motivation. So I'm afraid of sickness and disease. So I eat clean, work out, take my vitamins, you know. I'm afraid that something bad's going to happen to my kids. 
So anxiety starts ruling in my heart, my mind. I live with stress. I think about every possible worst case scenario there is. And I start to control their every move, you know, because protect them. Fear is a strong motivator. And wouldn't you know, oppression is rooted in fear. Oppression is the unjust treatment and the need to control others. That, that sucker is rooted directly in fear. Right? I'm afraid of what I don't know, so I will try to control. I'm afraid I will lose money or position or power, so I oppress. And it starts as like bullying in grade school. Right? That's where we see it kind of start starting. But it progresses into centuries of systemic oppression ingrained into society. And it's evil. It is not the Lord. As believers, as sons and daughters who have been made brand new, we are commissioned to participate in making these kinds of wrong things right. To participate in mishpat, to participate in restorative justice. And our instructions are found in Isaiah 117. It says this, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. It's all throughout scripture, right? Mishpat is biblical justice and it reflects God's posture in his heart towards the vulnerable in the world. And the revelation for us today is that kingdom people, if we are designed, we are designed to participate in Mishpat, which means that this injustice that you're facing right now, that is now my injustice. That problem that you're working through, oh, that, that is now my problem. Mishpat. We participate in Mishpat when we recognize the wrong and we allow ourselves to be moved by compassion into action. Everyone say action. Yeah. This is how Jesus interacts with the world, right? Scripture after scripture, we see Jesus being moved by compassion and then something happens, right? Moved by compassion, Jesus touches the blind eyes. Woo, the eyes are opened. Moved by compassion, Jesus feeds the hungry. When Jesus sees the crowds that they're helpless and confused, it says he has compassion on them. Moved by compassion, he reaches out and he touches the man with leprosy and the man is healed. Jesus's compassion always led to action. Think for a moment about Jesus's compassion toward you, toward me, right? And the ultimate act of making every single wrong right, Jesus shows us exactly what compassion looks like in action. And motivated by love and mercy, Jesus takes on our punishment and he makes us right with the Father. We deserve death. We deserve separation from God. And yet Jesus has compassion on us and steps in and takes on our punishment himself. He makes every wrong right. Jesus is our mishpat model. It's who he is. And if we're going to participate in mishpat, we must be willing to allow ourselves to be moved by compassion, to feel what God feels, to lean in to look injustice right in the face and be willing to say, that's not right. Man, that's not right. And then be willing to do something about it. This morning, um, I want to look at a scripture in Exodus. You know, we, we, we see this heart of the father all throughout the scripture. This is true. We, were see, we see him 
releasing the captives. He is the liberator, right? He, he looks injustice in the face. He says, we're going to make a way through this. We're going to do the right thing. And for us to see the kingdom of God released on the earth, for us to see every wrong made right, it does require participation, right? He partners with his kids. And so we're going to study what justice looks like in the face of oppression. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open to Exodus um, chapter one. Uh, the book of Exodus actually opens with a guy named Joseph. You guys remember Joseph? He had the coat, all the brothers who were really jealous. They threw him into slavery. Cool brothers, right? So he ends up as a slave in Egypt and he works his way up through the ranks because he's a wonderful, wise leader. And Joseph ends up leading in Egypt, the place that he was sold as a slave. So he leads the people in in Egypt. He actually ends up bringing all of his brothers and his dad and all the Israelites into Egypt as well. And because of his wise leadership, the Israelites grow very strong and they grow in number. They're doing well. Now, at this point in the story, um, the brothers, everybody's dead because people die. Um, So they died and we're like looking at chapter, uh, the end of chapter one. So there's a new king in town, the Pharaoh, and he doesn't know Joseph. No idea who he is, but he is not happy that the Israelites are here and they're growing strong and in number. And so we're going to pick up the text here. So Pharaoh's talking and says to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites, Joseph's people, right? They're slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramses and supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless and all their demands. Fear is a strong motivator. Here we have a new king. He's incredibly corrupt, and he's filled with fear. He fears losing his power, his money, his possessions, and all these deep insecurities start taking root in him and become sin. He begins to oppress He draws a line in the sand. He looks at people as us and them, and he begins to vilify them, those Hebrews. The Hebrews are ethnically profiled. They're dehumanized and they are enslaved without mercy. We just read it. Pharaoh takes all of his hate and fear and he turns it into oppressive legislation to persecute the Hebrews even further. It's not just enough that we're gonna bully them and make them do all this work. I'm going to make sure they don't reproduce at all. I will control this. So he pulls aside two of the Hebrew midwives. You know, midwives are the labor coaches, right? He pulls aside two of the Hebrew ladies, Shipra and Pua, and and he says this to them. Say, when you go and you help those Hebrew women give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Feel this. Your son, your brother. First of all, he's not so smart because the women saved the day, but I'm spoiling it a little bit. Sure. Fear motivates Pharaoh to take root in him. And the result is oppression and enslavement and the call for a mass genocide of Hebrew baby boys. 
It's sick. It's evil. It's the moment where Cohen starts weeping in the car because this is not right. It's so wrong. Do you know that oppression can only continue on in the hands of willing participants? Ah, I'm going to say it one more time for us. Do you know that oppression can only continue on in the hand of willing participants? Don't participate in this. Hear me today. Do not participate in this. Kingdom people, we do not participate with injustice. We do not do it. And these two amazing women, Shipra and Pua, they would not participate either because they feared God more than they feared man. They're not afraid. So picks up in the scripture, says just that. Midwives feared God. They refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. <gasps> so the king, oh, do you think he likes this? Not one bit. He calls to the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed these boys to live? Now they're brilliant. <laughs> the woman says, they say, oh, what? you know those Hebrew women? Ah, they're not like Egyptian women. Like, man, they are vigorous and they have their babies so quickly. We, we can't even get there in time. It's wild. Don't you wish you had a labor like that, by the way? It's not usually what happens. He's like, ah, ooh, oh, bummer. We couldn't get there. God was good to the midwives because they would not participate in this evil injustice. And their Israelites continued to multiply and grow more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Pharaoh, he does not like this. He's like, if you're not going to do it, I'll do it myself, basically. He gives, he gives this order to all the people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. But you may let the girls live. Because they feared God, the midwives refused to participate in injustice and they recognize this thing that is wrong. And then they are moved by compassion into action. And I'm telling you that God is looking for men and women who will recognize the wrongs in this world and be moved by compassion into action to push back the darkness of injustice. This is mishpat. This is what it is. We are kingdom people. This is who our God is. May we be willing participants in mishpat. Because injustice happens in the hands of men and women. And mishpat happens in the hands of men and women. It requires our participation. The story doesn't end there. Chapter two of Exodus opens with a woman named Jochebed. And she finds herself in an unfathomable situation. Like completely unreal. Because here's this Hebrew woman, and she's about to give birth. Now, they don't have ultrasounds, right? They're not doing all that stuff. She doesn't know if she's going to have a girl or a boy. She goes in to give birth to her baby, and out comes a baby boy. Think about the babies you gave birth to. In that moment, she has a choice. You can kill your baby and allow him to be killed, or you can break the law. Oh, the depths of a mother's love. <laughs> oh, the depths of a mother's love. She would be a criminal before she would put her son to death. She conceals her son for three months because you know these babies for about three months, they don't do too much. You just, they're all sleeping, pooping, eating. You can keep them pretty quiet. But man, 
then she knew she had to do something. And so in a complete act of desperation, Jochebed constructs this makeshift papyrus basket and she coats it with tar and pitch. And she places her three-month-old, your baby, in a basket and places him in the Nile River, praying to God, protect that baby. Now, she's also wise because she's a mom. And she says, hey, Miriam, older sister, track that baby, right? We don't have GPS. You go out there and you see what happens to this little basket. I got to know what's happening. But I'm telling you right now that unlike Pharaoh, Jochebed was not controlled by her fear, right? Her decision to, in the face of fear, demonstrates her complete trust in God. She's desperate. What is she going to do? And thankfully, the spirit of God protects this basket and guides it down the Nile River to what seems like the worst possible place. Because this basket ends up in the banks of Pharaoh's palace. You've heard this story, right? That's the very place the the decree to kill this baby originated. Feel that. We'll pick up in the scripture. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, as one does, And her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. Now this is the moment where Sister Miriam, she's gotta be like on her knees praying to God, Lord, what do we do, what do we do, what are we gonna do, right? It's a worst case scenario. Miriam knew that Pharaoh's daughter has been raised in Pharaoh's house. She's been trained and disciplined to see, by her father, by the way, to see Hebrews as subhuman and disposable, their only value being the free labor that they offered them. She had been taught to see Hebrews as the enemy and was warned, if if they are not contained, my privileges, my comforts are on the line. And yet, the scripture says this, the little boy was crying and she felt, everyone say felt, she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. You see a baby crying in a basket and she feels something. That is compassion. That is the beginning of Mishpat. She sees this and goes, man, baby floating in a basket. That's that's not right. She feels it. And then she lets that feeling be followed by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Do you know what that is? Compassion with a strong desire to alleviate the suffering? Justice. That is justice. Recognizing the wrong, being moved by compassion into action. Mishpat makes wrong things right. So Miriam, she's, so, she's brilliant. She jumps up. She says, hey, princess. Hey, you can't nurse that baby obviously. Um, How about I find a Hebrew woman who can take care of this baby for you? She's like, what a great idea. She gives this baby to Miriam and Miriam takes the baby home to her mother. And just like God would, because he is just, he saw to it that the very empire that separated a mother from her son is now going to pay her to raise him. Mishpat. Isn't that great? It's great. It's great. Think about Pharaoh's daughter here for a second. Um, you know, she's breaking crazy laws, <laughs> like crazy ones, to spare this baby's life. And she disobeys her father, 
which is going to put his reputation on the line, his credibility. And so she does, of course, outsource his care for a little bit to his own birth mother. And in that, after that, after those, those times, I don't even know how long it was, but then she ends up bringing this little Hebrew baby boy into not only her house, but her father's house. And she raises him as her own son. You have to understand the risk that this must've took to see this happen. It took incredible courage, but she chose to make someone else's problem her problem, right? She could have been disowned, cut off, imprisoned, killed, all of those things, but she risked her own status, her own position, and she used the authority that she'd been given to make the wrong thing right. She looked at this baby in the eyes and says, oh, that's not an enemy. It's a baby. And I don't know if she knows this or not, but what she was declaring is that this baby is made in the image of God of much worth and value. Do you know it's really hard to hate people close up? We all lean in. Look face to face. That's not an enemy. That's a baby. We are all made in the image of God of so much worth and value. Would we be willing to lean in? What is our response when we see injustice in the world? Well, we've been given a new heart. Huzzah. It's not even us. We don't have to do it in our power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us. We've been made right so we can do right. And just as Jesus allowed himself to be moved by compassion into action, we too are invited to do the same. Mishpat. That means we recognize the wrong. We allow ourselves to be moved by compassion into action. Everyone say action. What is the fuel for this? What motivates this? It's all about his love, right? Because oppression and injustice, the root of those things is fear. But we know in 1 John 4, 18, what dispels fear? It's love, right? There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. Love is the answer and love happens up close, And maybe we haven't discovered any babies in baskets recently, but I can tell you this, injustice is all around us. It is everywhere. And that means the world could use a lot more of the love of God. Human trafficking, war, food insecurity, abortion, blatant and covert racism. I mean, our world is hurting deeply. And we as believers are called to participate in mishpat and making these wrong things right. Let's talk about our very own community right now in Champaign-Urbana. You know that Champaign County suffers from a 10.5% overall food insecurity rate. And for kids in our community, it's 12.2%. That translates to nearly 27,000 residents of Champaign County who live with food insecurity. That means they don't have enough food or it's not healthy, adequate food. We recognize when we hear this, we go, that's wrong. Kids should have food. That is wrong that people are hungry and we should be moved by compassion into action. So that means our response to injustice is that we feed the hungry, right? This is what Jesus did. When, when he fed the 5,000 people, do you know that he wasn't like, boy, guys, you, oh man, you missed this. Why didn't anybody pack a lunch? Why did nobody think this through? Like, man, you really didn't plan ahead. I don't know if I'm going to show up today. He doesn't do that. He sees something. 
he does something. They're hungry, he fed them. Can I tell you that as a woman who was this statistic as a kid in Champaign County, I'm so grateful that this church did something. This church provided food for me and my family for for years and years and years when we couldn't make ends meet because we have had our food pantry going for decades. Do you know that just this week, our food pantry served 386 hungry families in Champaign-Urbana? That's beautiful. You can participate in Mishpat in, in like making wrong things right and feeding the hungry by joining us any week at the food pantry. I encourage you to do that. And Mishpat also happens in your everyday life. Look, I'll be out at the grocery store and there are times when the father's compassion will fall on me and he says, I want you to pay for the groceries to the person behind you. Look, I don't know their story. I don't know what's going on, but I'm moved by compassion. Swipe into action. It's gonna cost me something because it's worth it. That's Mishpat. You see it? Can we talk about another injustice in our community? Can we talk about racism? It's not an ethereal concept. It's not a, that thing out there. This is real. And it is hurting our brothers and sisters in this very community. I've heard your stories. You've told me about the pain. And Mishpat says, I will allow myself to be moved by compassion into action. Would we be willing to feel the pain that someone else feels? Would we be willing to recognize, man, this isn't right? And then do something. A couple months ago, my husband and I were on a trip. I told you guys about this trip when I went to Dallas and I played the VR, remember? You remember, okay. We're on this trip and my husband says to me, he said, hey, I really wanna eat at this great steakhouse. I've read all the reviews, it looks amazing. It's our anniversary, so this is gonna be quite the celebration. I say, okay, let's do it. We get in the Uber, we pull up. This restaurant is in a hotel. So I'm already judging it from that. I'm like, what are we doing here, eating at a hotel? And we walk in and, oh my, it is like dark and moody. And you're like, ooh, fancy. Like, you know when you can't see anything and you know, ooh, this is gonna be good because you can't even see it, right? So we go in, we have a reservation. I change my tune. I'm like, what a great restaurant in a hotel. And they seat us, uh, in the restaurant. Now, I, I've been a server for years, so I'm always pretty aware of like the serving environment, uh, where people are seated and experiences and all this. But I walk in, they take us back to our table, and automatically I look, and we're all the way at the back, right by the kitchen, which is like, man, that's too bad. Um, but also, we're set next to, to another table. So there's two two tops for anyone who's done serving. There are two little tables really close to each other. I'm like, oh man, like this is our anniversary dinner. I don't want don't want people so close, but I get over it. I sit down, Ben sits down, and right away, another couple is sat right next to us. A younger than us, black couple, beautiful, dressed up. You can tell they're celebrating something too. We're both sat at the same time. So immediately, we get water, we get fresh bread that comes out. This is the bread that's like, when you're like, I don't eat bread, but then you're like, but I eat this bread because it's like so good, like warm, crispy, wonderful, you know. So I'm eating that bread. And they, they take our order for drinks. And he goes on, the server is professional server, right? The ones, this is how they make their living. So they know everything. They're telling you everything about the menu. You tune out after like three minutes because you're like, it's just too much. Like, uh, and he tells us things, we order our drinks, we order our appetizers. He's on the way. We're sitting here and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm aware as I'm drinking my drink that was delivered, I'm aware that this couple right next to me has not been served at all. And I have this moment, because again, the compassion 
compassion of God falls on me. And I'm like, if that were me, ooh, I'd be mad. This is my anniversary dinner. I feel what she must be feeling in this moment. And I just lean over to her and I say, I'm so sorry, but have you, been, have you not been served yet? She goes, no. I was like, okay. And I just stand up and I flag down the very first server and I say, excuse me, this couple has not been served and we need a server over here right away. Server comes over really quickly and she's like, thank you. I'm like, it's no big deal. Like, it's totally fine. The server goes on. They, th- it was wrong that we were sat at the same time and one of us was served 15 minutes of serving and then someone else was not served. That is wrong. And I'm grateful that the restaurant made the wrong thing right, right? They, they come over, they, had, they gave them free champagne. They crafted this beautiful um, shrimp appetizer that was not on the menu. But let me tell you this, when, when that appetizer was delivered and she leans over to me and she goes, you wanna try some? I was like, yeah, I wanna try some, like I love shrimp. So I'm eating this shrimp, we talk for 10 minutes. My server comes back, he's like, I didn't put that in. I was like, I made a friend, like she's just right here. They shared and it, you missed it. Injustice happens all around us. I'm asking you, would you open your eyes, even if it hasn't been your experience, to say, man, that must be hard. And maybe be moved by compassion into action, that we participate in making the wrongs right. That is mishpat, that we may recognize the injustice be moved by compassion into action. It's who our God is. It's what he longs to do. He has come to make the wrong things right in the world. And he's inviting all of us to participate in this. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you, you are so good. And I thank you, Lord, that you choose to partner with us to make these wrong things right in the world. And God, what I'm asking for right now is eyes to see what you see eyes to see what you see. And truly, even in this moment, if there's any shame that comes with this, Lord, we just don't say yes to shame. We break it off in the name of Jesus. We choose to walk with new hearts, with new eyes, to participate in a way that only we can with your presence. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, show us where we can lean in, show us where we can participate because we long to see this world made right. It's who you are, Jesus. You are just. And thank you for showing us how to be just. And Father, as we go to worship you now, we just turn our attention fully to you. Eyes on you, hearts on you. Show us what we could not see before. Lord, we love you so much and we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.